I've already heard it, and I've already said it. We're barely out of winter, and already we're saying the phrases. It's warm in here. It's hot outside. I'm, I'm sweaty. Like, somehow this happens every year. The weather changes. It's, it's cold in winter, it's hot in summer, but, but every year it seems like we get taken by surprise when the weather changes. And the human race as a whole loves to complain and grumble about the weather, don't we? I mean, I feel like just about every conversation starter begins with some kind of complaint or grumble about the weather. I think we actually kind of enjoy grumbling about the weather. Then again, we, we like to grumble about just about anything, I guess. We, we grumble that our sports teams aren't coached well enough, our government doesn't run the way it's supposed to be run, our coworkers are incompetent, our newborns don't sleep enough at night. <laughs> grumbling happens by default. And there's always a reason to grumble. You don't have to look hard. And I, I think for the most part, grumbling, it, I mean, it's mostly harmless. And a lot of the time, we, we grumble, and it really is just a conversation starter. That's fine. But we do need to be careful about grumbling. It can take a wrong turn. Complaining about others can get very nasty very quickly. And maybe the worst kind of complaining would be grumbling against God. Sometimes we aim our frustrations at God when things aren't the way we want them to be. We've been talking about the people of Israel today. Right? The Israelites following Moses in the desert during the time of the Exodus, they had a chronic grumbling problem. Read the book of Exodus and Numbers and just about every chapter, you'll see another complaint by Israel. It's like, they're always complaining, grumbling against Moses and against God. And here today, we're looking at just one of those grumbles here in, in Numbers chapter 21. The Israelites have, have been wandering in exile out in the wilderness for 40 years almost. And they've, they've done their fair share of grumbling. It's kind of amazing that, that God and Moses hadn't given up on the people yet. Because here they go again, coming, coming to God and, and Moses with another complaint once again. And the Israelites here, they, they kind of have three reasons for grumbling. The Israelites' reasons for grumbling against God, pretty similar to our reasons for grumbling against God. So let's take a look at those, those three grumbles. The first grumble, I like to call this one the unwanted detour grumble. It's also known as the Edom grumble. Right, keep in mind, the Israelites, they've been in exile for nearly 40 years, and now they're finally about to enter the promised land. They've been waiting so long. But first, they have to go around Edom, because the kingdom of Edom wouldn't allow them to pass through their land. This was going to cost the Israelites more time and cause more hardship out in the desert. I mean, right? Just, just look at a map. 
This is, this is rough. Here they are heading up towards the promised land, and they get to Mount Hor there, and all of a sudden, all they had to do was go up a little further. There's the Jordan River. They go along the river, go across, boom, promised land. Instead, they have to go all the way back down along the way of the Red Sea, and then all the way around Edom. An unwanted detour. They were so close. And the people grow impatient along the way. They want the promised land now. No more detours. When, when we come across unwanted detours in our life, we're going to grumble too. We, we kind of complain to God, God, why don't you line things up better for me? Like, why do you sometimes lead me around seemingly without purpose? Look at all these other people. Things come together for them so easily. God, why, why so many setbacks in my life? All of a sudden, when we, when we find ourselves on that unwanted road, it becomes God's fault. His plan isn't good enough. It's not fast enough to suit my taste. The impatient grumbling begins. And this unwanted detour grumbling then leads into that second reason to grumble. This, the second grumble, I think I'll call this one the, the grass is always greener grumble. Also known as the Egypt grumble. And the Israelites loved this one. They're always complaining to Moses, Moses, why'd you bring us up out of Egypt? We had everything we needed there. We had plenty of food. We had plenty to drink. We had a nice place to live. Man, we had it good back in Egypt. Did they, though? The Israelites were slaves in Egypt. They were worked to exhaustion every day. They were beat by slave masters. They weren't given enough supplies to actually do their work. They had to throw their baby boys in the Nile River to keep the population in check. Really, Israel? You had it good in Egypt? You see, now now that the Israelites are out in the wilderness, now they start drawing up this idealistic picture of what Egypt was like. They start thinking, oh, The grass was always greener on the other side, back in Egypt. So they complained to Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? The Israelites defaulted to this grumble again and again. Unfortunately, it's a a grumble that we like to default to as well. The grass is always greener grumble. We think back. To, to things in the past and how they used to be. We call them the good old days, right? And we start wondering, God, why didn't you allow those happy, carefree moments to just continue? Why did old age, a pile of new responsibilities, broken relationships, the death of loved ones have to come in and ruin things when we had a good thing going? God, you, sh- you should bring back the good times for me. When we, when we grumble like this, well, we're doing the same thing as the Israelites. We tend to draw up this idealistic picture of the past. We forget that at every stage in life, there were, there were hardships and, and different stresses. Back then, right, we were looking forward to the greener pastures of the future. Now that we've arrived, well, we're still not satisfied and 
And we could search for that greener pasture in this life forever, but that ideal picture we have in our mind, it might not become reality, at least this side of heaven. Because there, there will always be people who make more money than us. There will always be people who have a, an easier job schedule than, than we do. There will always be another reason to grumble about the grass not being green enough. Okay, how about that third reason to grumble then? This, this one, I'll call this one the just not doing it for me grumble. Also known as the manna grumble. This is, this is another favorite one for the Israelites. They were complaining to Moses, there is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. First of all, this statement is just false. They had bread. They had water. You maybe wonder, how did over 2 million people survive out in the, the deserts of the Middle East? How'd they get enough to eat and drink? The answer is a miracle. God supplied miraculous bread called manna. It was there all throughout the Israelites' exile in the desert. He even allowed water to come shooting out of rocks when there was no other water source nearby. God made sure that even in the desert, that his people had all the essentials they needed. But still, the Israelites grumbled, yeah, it's just not good enough, God. The manna, it's just not doing it for me. And so, even despite these miraculous ways to take care of his people, the people still grumbled. You know, God rains down blessings from heaven to you and me. And maybe it's not manna out in the desert or water coming from rocks near our house or anything, but, but we have no shortage of, of blessings, things that we, that we need, even things that we want. And we sometimes take our, our so many worldly comforts for granted, comforts that, that people in third world nations would just give anything for, but our, our blessings extend just beyond just the physical things. We have the spiritual gifts of faith and salvation that come down to us from God for free. But still sometimes our, our grumbling hearts will want to say, yeah, I know I got all these things, God, but they're just not doing it for me. And this grumble is a little different than the, than the first two. This isn't just grumbling about life's misfortunes. This is actually even grumbling about the good things we have. Maybe thinking they're not, they're not good enough. Like the Israelites, we might sometimes go so far as to call our blessings miserable. I think I, I kind of personally know what this grumble is like. Um, it, it's, it's such an amazing blessing to have a new little child. It, it's hard to even explain how great it is. And yet, not even three weeks in, to experiencing this blessing. And, and already, I've, I've come up with plenty of reasons to grumble. Instead of focusing on how big a blessing our little girl is, I tend to grumble about the changes and the sacrifices I have to make in my life in order for her to be part of my life. And even if we have the best things in this life, sometimes we'll still grumble. God, they're just not doing it for me. We, we often aim all three of these grumbles, the, the Edom grumble, the Egypt grumble, and the manna grumble, directly at God. We, we tend to think, 
there's, there's this one common thing running through all three of these grumbles. The thought that God is holding out on us. Right? We're, we're not satisfied with the things God gives us. We're not pleased with the things God tells us. We're not content with the things God expects from us. Surely, God is holding out on me. He's, he's not giving me everything he could be giving me. Surely, he's, he's giving more care and concern for the people sitting around me than he does for me. The people of Israel thought God was holding out on them. In reality, God was doing what was best for his people. He brought them around Edom to avoid conflict and bloodshed. He, he delivered them from slavery and oppression in Egypt. He supplied them with water and food in the inhospitable desert. But sometimes the, the Israelites still grumbled even despite all those gifts. And our attitudes sometimes are the same. Despite our blessings, our, our response sometimes still to grumble. So let's turn the, tam- the table now. Let's look at God's response to our grumbling. First of all, here for the Israelites, right, he, he kind of sends a wake-up call. The Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. Is this just God being mean and impatient? No. This is another case where he's, he's disciplining his people to turn them to him again. And sometimes he, he has to give them a wake-up call to do that. Here, right, he's, he's not being petty or temperamental, but he is being serious about turning his people from sin. And, and the, the goal of the snakes here is that they would leave their, their poisonous grumbling behind and turn to God for the cure that serpent's poison. This is a stern call to repentance. And for all the people's grumbling, we we do see them doing a very good job here of of repenting. Right away, they they admit that they were wrong. They confess their sin. They they turn to God for help. They trust in him that he's going to help them. They, They go to Moses and say, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. The people admit they were wrong to grumble against God and Moses. They turn in the right direction. They turn to God. They they trust in his love. They trust in his deliverance. When we grumble against God, he's not going to send snakes to come and bite us. Maybe he'll allow something to happen that gets us to focus back on him, though, uh, some kind of wake-up call. As bad as a wake-up call could be, it's not as bad as the alternative. For example, the snakes attacking Israel, they were deadly. But they weren't as deadly as the lies of the great serpent, the devil himself, who's, who's trying to get the people to resent and reject their saving God. For us, too, this poison of grumbling, resenting God, thinking he's holding out on us, that's deadly because it makes us drift further and further away from him. Grumbling against God is a a slow-working poison. But the devil knows how deadly it can be. Thankfully, God doesn't just respond to our grumbling with wake-up calls. God responds to our grumbling with the cure. 
He responds to our grumbling with the cure that we need. We don't really know. God may or may not give us a wake-up call, but you can guarantee that he's going to give you Jesus and the forgiveness that he wins for you. When the people cried out to God for help, he answered. He, he had Moses craft that bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And anyone who looked at that, that snake up there, they would live. They'd be healed. The people didn't have to go find the cure for themselves. They simply looked to the cure God provided. And that, that bronze serpent up on that, that pole, it's a powerful picture of the cross, isn't it? You can't help but notice the similarities. You know, Jesus himself refers to this event in Numbers as he talks to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. This is what Jesus says. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. You know the next verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Isn't this cool? Like how closely this account in Numbers is tied to the very heart of the gospel message. Jesus is the cure for the poison of sin. Jesus is the way to eternal life. Jesus gives his life. He takes it up upon the cross to give us life with him. When we feel the the bite of our sin, We look to the cross and we find relief for the poisonous results of sin. It's as if that that bronze serpent Moses put up on the pole was was being crucified there. It looked the same thing, right? It was this bronze snake up on this wooden pole, just like Christ up on the wooden cross. And that bronze serpent, that was, right? The snake was the cause of Israel's pain. But that serpent, the curse itself, the poison, was being done away with there on that wooden pole. This is exactly what happens at the cross of Christ. The curse and the cure meet on the cross. God heaps the curse against sin upon his son. He gives the cure of forgiveness for all people there on the cross. The curse of sinful grumbling and the cure of, for sin's poison both meet at the cross. On the cross, Jesus suffers the curse so that you and I get the cure. And finally, at the cross, our grumbling can cease. When we look at the cross, we, we see the one who, who had every right to grumble but never did. Jesus didn't grumble at God's plan. He never sinned, never lied, never hated. He didn't need to suffer the curse of sin and die. He had every right to grumble against God's plan and what he had to do. But Jesus went to that cross without complaint as an innocent lamb to be sacrificed because that's what was needed to save us My grumbling stops when I see my uncomplaining Savior. Our grumbling stops when we see our Savior on the cross. When I look at the cross, I know 
God's not holding out on me. God's holding everything out to me. His undeserved love, his forgiveness, he's holding it all out to me. God's holding nothing back. Not even his own son. Grumbling, it's pretty easy to to have happen by default. But in view of the cross, my new default is to rejoice. God does not hold his love back from me. Amen.